You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our charity champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. On this episode, CareNet. We see about 2,500 women a year for pregnancy testing, ultrasounds, counseling, spiritual. CEO Deborah McGregor talks to us about the types of women CareNet helps. About 75% of the girls are single and, and are single parents. Deborah also tells us the amazing story of one mom who gave birth in her car. We're driving on Highway 6. On I'm driving. Highway, like by the mall. I'm driving by, by Bird Colgen Ford. And now let's get to know our champion. Welcome and thank you for coming in. We appreciate you taking time to be a part of the Charity Champions podcast. Why don't we start with telling us, you know, a little bit about your background, how you got involved and and kind of take us back a little bit to how it started and bring us up to where we are right now. Well, all right. Well, my name's Deborah McGregor and I am an attorney by education. I had been in private law practice uh, about 10 years and after I had my last child, I decided I was going to stay home for a while and focus on that. And so I was kind of in a timeout because I love to work. My idea of heaven is just you can work all the time and never get tired. (laughs) So for me to stop for a while was a discipline. But when my youngest entered kindergarten, I was ready to go back to work. And I had prayed during that time that if there was anything else God wanted me to do, that he would show me. Otherwise, I loved law practice. I loved my clients. I loved, you know, working with uh, just all of that. But I just, you know, it took me two years just to retire for five. And so I knew if I go back, this is too much work to unwind everything. I had been, I was in my CPA's office to do some quarterly reports and uh, just picked up a paper. I don't even subscribe to the paper and saw that the local pregnancy center was looking for an executive director. Well, I didn't know what that was and I wasn't looking for a job. So I thought, you know, I'm going to stop by there on the way home. Stopped by and walked in and, you know, long story short, they showed me around and I I really, it's kind of like God got the ball rolling then. The night before I was to interview for the job, I backed out and said, uh, I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to get this job. I don't even know what I'm doing and I don't know what that is. And so I backed out and waited about six months and kind of went back around and said, what did you ever do with that job? Because I just, it still was in the back of my mind that, you know, I'm pro-life and I, uh, I had been an adjunct professor at MCC in the paralegal program during the time that I was off because like I said I'm a workaholic and not in recovery at all and you know just really had a heart for women that were trying to get started especially if they had you know displaced homemakers and anyway so all that put together I just said you know let me just let me investigate that again and um, called up and they said well you know we started to pull your resume again to ask you if you'd like to come in and uh, interview for a development position. It's only 30 hours. And I thought, oh, you know, that will fit in nicely with my life. I have a marketing background and then my law degree. And anyway, interviewed for the job. And they said, you know, we really want you to be the executive director. And it's, you know, 50, 60 hours a week and the pay's not very good. Would you like it? (laughs) And, and, um, you know, I said, yeah. I mean, at that point, and so I joke about, I got to CareNet bait and switch. I mean, I interviewed for one 
one thing took another. And, <laughs> and I've been there 11 years and I am forever ruined. I mean, whenever you work in an, you know, an environment where you get to see God answer prayers and just do miracles, there's just nothing else. There's nothing else for me. So, so for those that are listening, what does CareNet do? 30,000 foot view, what, what's its mission? So CareNet, 34 years ago, Roe v. Wade had passed in 1973. The Christian community, I think, was kind of rocked back on its heels and didn't really know what its response was. I mean, it was too late kind of to say abortion is, you know, not right or isn't wrong or it was done. And so the Christian community was trying to figure out what to do. So there were kind of mom and pop centers, mostly in churches that that knew that this is something we need to have an alternative to. And so for Waco, uh, a group of uh, families got together and said, you know, we need to do something. So they started out with just kind of like a hotline. Uh, I think probably maybe they had a beeper back then. I'm not sure that they would pass around, and it was just all volunteers. And at the same time, Focus on the Family, uh, you know, also felt like they needed to do something. So they created a Sanctity of Human Life division. So fast forward a little bit, Focus on the Family created an organization called CareNet uh, and kind of launched it on its own. And it was to equip pregnancy centers that were kind of popping up across the nation as a response to uh, abortion being legal and offering women alternatives. And so Waco Crisis Pregnancy was the first name of the organization. Somewhere along the way, there was a maternity home that had started here, and it's the name of it was Angel House. And so Angel House... I think the Meyer family, or uh, Paul Meyer, was involved with that, was given to Waco Crisis Pregnancy. It became Angel Care, and then now it's CareNet. And so we are one of 1,100 affiliates affiliates in the United States for CareNet. And the last three years, we were voted the number one center in the nation mm-hmm. as far as impact, wow. the right. impacting. So the, the great thing is, is yeah, I mean, you know, we, we feel like we're doing things well. The bad thing is you don't have anybody to learn from. Mm. Uh, yeah. but, but as an affiliate, we pay about $200 a year um, to be an affiliate. But otherwise, sometimes people wonder if we're a franchise or if all the donations stay local, and they do. Everything stays here. So you pay the two hundred dollars a year for what? What for what just for tra- uh, once a year conference and then okay. some best practices, training manuals, that kind of stuff that they put together for us. Okay, great. Where where are you located? So we have two offices. We've just really been blessed with just outstanding uh, facilities. Our medical office, where we do pregnancy testing and ultrasound for women who think they're pregnant is on 18th and Columbus. So it's 1818 Columbus Avenue. It's in a little neighborhood next to the Montessori School. And then we have a support center. So once a woman finds out she's pregnant, verifies that she's pregnant, how far along she is, and if she does make a decision to either parent or place for adoption, then we immediately graft her into the support program. And at the support office on 800 West Waco Drive, it is a big, nice facility that we just built a couple years ago. And in that office, we have uh, social workers. We have, I mean, we have 13 staff between the two offices. So we have probably at any time 50 plus volunteers. Volunteers can do everything, but I've not found one that wants to do my job. But (laughs) otherwise, we can train volunteers and we heavily rely on them. And so in that office, we have classes where women come every day. Uh, two hours in the morning, and then some afternoon classes where they do parenting classes, life skill classes, pregnancy classes, and then we have Bible study in Spanish and English. 
And so every time they come into the center, we have child care there. Uh, so we have volunteers and we have staff that work with the children in the child care. Those workers are trained in what's uh, a theory known as trust-based relational intervention. What we decided was, you know what, if we're going to have these children every day, then we need to be intentional and let's try to make a difference in their life, uh, not just in their mom's life, but let's make a difference in their life. And so in the child care, we're able to kind of de-escalate the crisis. A lot of, uh, I think the statistics say that half of all pregnancies are unplanned or unintended. So that doesn't necessarily mean that a woman's considering abortion uh, or adoption or that it's that level of crisis. But a lot of times they're just not prepared. And, and so it just throws the family in chaos. Even if it's a happy time, it can throw the family in chaos. So anything that we can do for the children while the mom's in class to de-escalate the crisis, then it will just cause just the harmony of the family. And then that new baby research has shown that, you know, the the mental you know, state of the mom in the pregnancy can set the trajectory for that child. And so then you have a baby that's born that has lots of colic and lots of problems. I don't, they don't call it colic anymore. They call it reflux. I don't, but, <laughs> you know, a lot of things going on that a difficult pregnancy can make for a difficult baby. So during those classes, mom, we always have, we have churches and uh, organizations that bring in snacks. So every day, 10 o'clock in the morning, we have put out the nice, you know, snacks and stuff for the moms. We have volunteers, uh, tiered teachers that come in and teach, and then the children are in childcare. They leave about noon, go home and have a nice nap, and then in the afternoon we have uh, women who come in and meet one on one with either um, a volunteer or someone to help them specifically with things like um, childcare, getting you know prepared for childcare. Maybe they have children and they don't have a good childcare situation teaching them what what is good child care what is it what should it look like smell like feel like you know when you go there uh, also jobs you know it's a big deal moms especially if she's pregnant and once she gets to the point to where she's about seven months it's really difficult to find a job and so what can we do to get her in a job where they're going to want to keep her while she's off on maternity leave and then also of course you know going to a doctor she needs to find a doctor. She needs to figure out how she can pay for a doctor. And so we have people that will help her get all of her applications and all of that and WIC and any of those things that can help her. And then, um, you know, sometimes we have girls that decide during their pregnancy, maybe they, you know, I'm going to have this baby coming. I'm going to have to support it on my own. Uh, about 75% of the girls that we do work with on a long-term basis are single and, and are single parents. Wow. And, uh, of course, that's not everybody, but a lot of them are. And so they, you know, kind of realize I've got to make enough money for two people. Mm-hmm. And that's going to usually require more education. And, you know, as I try to explain to them, as much as I'm an advocate of education, um, going to school as a single mom is a luxury. You have to work. And if you can study between 10 at night and 2 in the morning, then you can go to school. <laughs> but otherwise, you got to be game on during the day. And so just working with them, keeping them motivated, keeping that can-do attitude, and then being happy to see them when they come in every day and just keeping them going. And so, uh, and then we also have a team that works with moms that maybe have children that, you know, maybe they're having, maybe there's just something going on in the family where there's a lot of chaos or drama And so how can we work with mom? You know, maybe she's turned into a screamer, you know, or she's just trying to manage. And so how can we work with mom to identify her parenting style 
and then along with that parenting style, some some good ways to manage the child's behavior. And and then again, if we can manage the household, manage the drama in the household, bring in a new baby that's you know calm and. Uh, it, it will it will make it a much better situation and experience. Sounds and like you work with a lot of people. We do, we do. And then and then the the last thing, you know, I mean, maybe we've got a girl that you know she's up for all that, but she's living in her car, and that happens. There are mm. women and children living in their vehicles. Uh, one time we had a lady. I think the probably the straw that broke the camel's back was he had we had a girl that was living in a tent behind Walmart. And that's when we said, you know, enough. I mean, enough. We we can do all of this stuff, but we can't. They, they have to have a place to lay their head. Yeah. And so um, we took that to the community, to our supporters. I mentioned it several times at a banquet and said, you know, we need housing for these women and children because they're going it alone. They have children. And they don't have any place to, to live to, while they get on their feet. We can do all this stuff, but it's not going to do any good if they don't have a place to, you know, they don't have a place to shower for an interview. I was hoping somebody else would do it. Uh, and after a few years, we were given land and, the, you know, just the community came around and said, y'all, yeah, it'd be great for you to do. So we built uh, a facility onto our support office that has, we can house 28 women and children. And uh, we do that. We have been full, but we have not ever turned anybody away since we opened that a year and a half ago. We've had probably over about 125 that we have actually that have lived there. I mean, it has absolutely saved lives. I mean, when you have a woman that says, I'm going to have to have an abortion because the place where I'm living said, don't bring another mouth to feed. We've had married women there who said, you know, my husband says, no, we're not doing this. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it alone. I can't do this alone. And we've had women who have aged out of foster care and have absolutely no idea what family is supposed to look like. We've had it all. We've had women that are in, you know, drug treatment. And I'm, we're not a treatment facility, but we just got a lot of people and a lot of heart. And so, so far, I mean, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. You know, I like to, to tell people, and I mean, I really believe this, that even though the moms are no, they know this is rough. I mean, I'm, I've got nothing. I mean, I, you know, one of the first things they do when they, you know, check in is they have to let everything fall. You know, everything you've been doing to get by, that just all needs to fall down. All those relationships are, you know, that are all twisted and to make life work for you just all needs to fall. And then we need to start rebuilding. But the kids, they have the time of their life. Like they are going to remember that as I had this place where I had my own bed they all they have a golden doodle, so they have their own dog. His name mm. is Barney. Barney. Barney is a companion in any way. And so they, they come in. They have their own playrooms, their playground, their own dog, their own bed. And so that's the joy of my life is to just flip the script and go, you know what? This may be the worst of times, but they're going to remember it as the best of times. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you have the ability to house 28. Yes. But on average, how many women a year do you see? Well, uh, we count all of them. We count the women and children. We've had over 125 in this past year that have, wow. that have lived there. Some live there longer than others. Uh, they're able to live there until they're on their feet. That's either before the baby's born or after. And what we mean by on their feet, independent. So they have a job. They have child care. They have medical care. They have a steady income that's coming in, and they have housing. So housing, especially, I mean, we've housed women with six children. It's difficult to find a place a woman can afford with six children. Oh, I bet. So they, they tend to stay a little bit longer. Uh, but at any given time, like right now, we have 
nine moms and I think 16 or 17 children there just right now. And, you know, babies don't take up a lot of room. So we actually have probably housed more at one time uh, because babies have little baby beds. And uh, I mean, again, we, we have been full, but we have never turned anybody away because of space. So do you encourage or do you work with them to adopt? Or? A- absolutely. Now, adoption usually... Usually, if, if, if a woman's going to consider adoption, it's usually a third trimester decision. Okay. So she may be thinking, I'm going to parent, I'm going to parent, and then she realizes it's just it's not going to work. Or, you know, maybe relationships have gone south, or maybe she's just not bonded with the baby, or she just knows that she, a baby, she could, you know, place a baby in a nicer home than what she could provide, you know, a better home. Uh, so we work with adoption agencies. Generations Adoptions is one of the agencies that we work with. Mm-hmm. We usually give women like three or four choices and then, you know, of of places that we can contact for them, have them come in and meet with them in our facility. And then they, you know, kind of take them back and start working with picking out a family and all of that. So unfortunately, adoption is not something that a lot of women will consider because of uh, just there's a stigma around adoption for, you know, it, it. it is a heroic choice, but for women who place their child for adoption, there is a stigma around, you know, how could you do that? Yeah. So that's, we've got our work cut out for us there. Sure. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've been there 11 years. You, you know, have helped over a hundred plus women here go through this. You've probably seen a couple of Well, that's stories, just in housing. Of, <laughs> that's, oh, that's just, just in housing. housing. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no. The number of women that we serve a year, these are individual unique people it's about 2,500 a year. Oh, my wow. goodness. For pregnancy testing. And yes. So that's just the ones we house. But yeah, we see about 2,500 women a year for pregnancy testing, ultrasounds, counseling to ask, you know, to kind of assess their situation where it comes to medical and uh, spiritual. We are a Christian agency, so we offer prayer and, and spiritual services to everyone. And then, you know, if they are pregnant, are they, what are they thinking? If they're considering adoption, then we immediately, you know, can connect them with an adoption agency. If they're considering abortion, then we talk with them through that decision and, you know, just kind of say, well, what did you think about abortion before you got pregnant? Most women are not, it's not something you grew up wanting to do. And to kind of help them with, to just stop. I mean, the biggest challenge that we have in that arena is to get them to just stop for a minute and think about how you really feel. How did you feel before this was you? What's making you think that you are going to have to do that? That's kind of how we got into all the other services was when we found out that, well, their issue was transportation. They didn't have a way to get to work or anywhere. You know, their issue was income. So we just said, you know what, if we take the issue of income off the table, would that allow you to have this baby? If we took the issue of housing off the table, would that allow you to have this baby? If we helped you to get your FAFSA filled out or whatever it is, and and was this support for you, you know, everything that they do when they come in our agency, they earn points and they use those points to buy diapers, wipes, formula, that kind of stuff. So if we provided diapers for your baby, would that allow you to be able to continue this pregnancy? So unless she just comes in and says, no, I grew up wanting to do this, which is rare. Yeah. Um, then we have been able to just make it unnecessary. So if we make abortion unnecessary, can we have this baby? And I will say that, you know, it, this has been a number that's remained constant through the years since I've been there. Eight out of 10 women, if they 
will let us spend an hour with them and they will get an ultrasound to see that their baby on the screen, they will choose life. Hmm. So that's the key. Mm -hmm. Get them to invest an hour and to see their baby. On ultrasound. An ultrasound that, that yep. that's yep. the trigger that gets them to say, you know what, I, I can do this. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, from the time they find out they're pregnant, I mean, we give them, you know, a, a, an item, whether it be a baby hat that the, the church or, you know, women have made or a little onesie or the little newborn diapers or something. We start them immediately on six months of prenatal vitamins. And everything we do is free. I didn't mention that, but everything we do is free. You know, we start them right away. Anything that we can do to help them to realize this, this may, you came in and this is a problem, but it's a baby. And so, you know, problems don't wear this little onesie, babies do. Problems don't wear these little diapers, babies do. And we're going to, you don't have to do this whole pregnancy. One of the, you know, key things is to help them to realize you don't have to do this whole pregnancy today. You just got to do today. Can you do today? And tomorrow you know, come back in and we'll do tomorrow together and we'll do every day together. And once we get this baby here, you're going to see that that's the joy of your life. Yeah. And, you know, again, even if a woman's not considering abortion, let's say she comes in and she says, you know, I, I, I want this baby. I'm excited to be pregnant, but I don't know anything. I mean, you know, I have grown daughters that their first child, even though, they were wanted and, you know, everything. They don't they didn't know anything and they didn't really know other than Facebook who to ask. I mean, they no. could ask me, you know, but I'm not there. And so to you know, that's one of the things with our support office that it's not just for women who have been in a, a pregnancy that's a crisis. It's for new moms. It's for, you know, moms that that want to come in and learn about breastfeeding and learn about, you know, to take uh, infant CPR and to learn about SIDS and shake a baby and nutrition and all of those things. I mean, there's no place else that a woman can go to become an expert at being a mom. Yep. But there you can. I mean, she can become an expert at being a mom and know all that stuff that even if you grew up with siblings, you don't know mm -hmm. until you've been intentionally taught. And that's one of the things we try to do is to really be intentional with every FaceTime communication that we have. Over the last 11 years, I'm sure you've met and seen a lot of people. Is there any stories specifically that stick out of anybody that you've met or any women that you've helped that has kind of stuck with you? Well, uh, most recently, uh, one of our girls had a baby in my car. Oh, my so goodness. In your car? In, your in car. my car. In my car. So some of you, some people may have seen it on um <clears throat> Channel 25, I think I was uh, on the noon show and it was because of a Facebook post that my husband posted. But and so this young lady, her name is Cece. Cece was our very first house guest. Now we call our, our housing program a guest house. Uh, we don't call it a maternity home. We call it a, a, a guest house. And it's under the same premise of if you come and stay at my home, I'm going to put out the nice towels and put on, you know, my husband always says, I, you know, in the next life, I want to be, if I believed in it, if somebody that comes, you know, a, a friend that stays with you or one of your animals because yep. you treat them so well. <laughs> but, you know, but, but they're a house guest. And so it's, you know, we're going to put out all the nice stuff. And when you cease to be a blessing or we cease to be a blessing, it's time to go. Mm -hmm. You can still come back for services, but you can't live here. Yeah. And so Cece was our very first girl that came in. We weren't really ready. It was last, it was a year ago this past May. Uh, we had just opened the door, still working on policies and procedures, and Cece came in. Cece had two little boys. She had aged out of foster care, and so she was from another state. Cece's had been kicked out of, I believe, 
23 foster homes oh my in her lifetime. Wow. And I, I asked her, I said, Cece, what, what were you doing? I mean, were you thinking they would send you back home? And she goes, yeah, I think so, you know. So Cece did everything she could to get kicked out. The very first, She was the first, the first one to come in. I told her the day that I sat down with her, I said, we're not really ready to start taking people yet, and I just want you to know I'm as scared of you as you are of us. <laughs> and if you want to come in under those circumstances, then we'll try this together. And so we did. So Cece lived there, um, I think, five or six months. Uh, she had her baby. She found a job. She had, uh, I think at the time, yes, yeah, she had transportation. So Cece moved out, and she was a success. She got everything. She was independent. Well, then Cece had, you know, went through a hard time, and Cece found out that she was pregnant again. And it was one of those things where she didn't, she didn't necessarily want to come back to say, I, I, you know, this happened again. And so I remember in my office, you know, talking to her, and I said, Cece, you know, you know what a blessing a baby can be. And, you know, she just said, I just don't think I can do this. I know all of that. I, I know all the answers. I know it's wrong, but I just can't do another one. And again, I said, Cece, you don't have to do the whole pregnancy today. You just got to do today. Can you do today? Yes, I can. Yes, ma'am, I can do today. So Cece did every day, one day at a time throughout that pregnancy. And she was pregnant in the hot summer. I mean, she had her baby on Labor Day, hmm. so a Labor Day weekend. So she was pregnant. She was walking her three children now to daycare and walking to work downtown she lived on 15th street so she would walk downtown she would take her kids to daycare she would go to work she would walk back to pick them up and she would walk home so she did this every day she thought she had a birth plan she thought she had people that she could depend on when it came time to have her baby but everything fell apart and she called me the friday before labor day and said i'm in labor can you come pick me up and take me to the hospital and I will have, you know, someone else that she knew, a friend, to pick the boys up because there were three little boys that she had. Now, these little boys are five, three, and one at the time. Hmm. Uh, so I have somebody come pick them up. So I said, how far apart are your contractions? She goes, oh, they're four minutes apart. This is my fourth baby. I know. We got plenty of time. Okay. So I got in my car and went in. I get to her house. She has the, the three car seats just thrown out in the yard. The little boys are set on the porch, you know, like little, just perched there, scared to death. And she's pacing up and down the sidewalk and, you know, having contractions. And she said, I drove up, kind of slid in sideways. And I drove up and she said, just put the car seats in the car, put the kids in the car. And between contractions, I'll jump in and let's go. And you don't argue with a woman in labor. You know, <laughs> I know that. So I just said, okay, you know, so I put the car seats in, got the boys in. The boys are all kind of tearful. And I said, oh, it's fine. Y'all mom's got a tummy ache. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. Perfectly normal. Don't worry about a thing. It's good. You know, we turn on the radio. We go, well, she starts having contractions. You know, she's in and she's all she can think about is, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to have time for the epidural. I guess kept saying, Cece, you're fine. Your water hasn't broken. You're going to be fine. So she's having contractions. They seem pretty close, you know. So I called the hospital and said, you know, we're on our way. And they told me where to go. And so we get to about Highway 6. And all of a sudden, you know, again, I'm not going to have time for an epidural. Your water hasn't broken. Kids, it's perfectly normal in the back seat. Every time she's, you know, screaming at contractions, perfectly normal. It's going to be fine. She says, Miss Deborah, my water broke. And I went, Oh, no. Okay. Well, we, we still have time. We're good. You were good. You know, so we get on Highway 6. We're headed towards Hillcrest and the contractions are like one big contraction. And she says, you know, the baby's coming. He's coming. I said, uh, 
you know, at that point, where are you going to pull over? Like, there's no place to pull over. She said, keep driving, keep driving. And so, you know, I'm kind of, you know, trying to tell her to be calm, relax. It's going to be fine. We're going to make it. Boys, it's all normal. And about that time, she says, oh, my gosh, you know, he's coming. And I look over and baby's coming. He's being born in the seat. And so, so then immediately I said, Cece, it's okay. You know, I mean, I'm saying, I said, it's okay. Just where are you right now? We're driving on highway six. I'm driving like by the mall. I'm driving by by Bird Colgen Ford. Okay. All right. 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 Yeah, I know where I am. So then she says, the cord's wrapped around his neck. Of course it is. Of course. I mean, that's, you know, I was like, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's perfectly normal. Just unwrap it. (laughs) Take it, slip it over his head. Stop pushing. Again, I'm driving. You know, I don't even think I've slowed down because we're having a baby. Yeah. And so I said, just slip it over his head. It'll be fine. Stop pushing. Then, you know, you know, next contraction, take him up, put him up against you. And of course, she's in shock. We're all acting like this is normal. You know, (laughs) again, kids in the back. So I called the hospital back. I said, I don't know where I'm going to show up. I don't know which entrance I'm going to be in. You better have everybody there looking for me. Yeah. So I, I think I pulled in backwards to the hospital entrance. A team of nurses ran out. And, you know, I told them I just got out in shock. And I said, it's it's too late. Just, you know, that she's oh, holding yeah. the baby. I mean, baby, he he cried, you know. and Really? So uh, full on pregnancy, full on. right, oh, birth, right, there. right I mean, there in ba- the car. She's holding the baby when the nurses got up to the, to oh, the, my to the door. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was they were all they just thought it was fabulous. And so they, you know, go to get mom out of the car. And, uh, you know, the little boys are just kind of like, OK, well, we just had a baby. They don't know that this is not. You know, the way you do it. (laughs) And so I, you know, I said, okay, well, Cece, you know, you go, I'm going to take the boys. Uh, At this point, we don't know who was supposed to meet us, but nobody met us there. So I have the boys. I said, I'll take the boys home and you, y'all go ahead and get checked in. And about this time, um, she's, you know, going to get out and she goes, I realized, okay, Cece's African-American. So I realized somewhere in all this that she lost her hair, like her weave was gone. Oh, (laughs) And, uh, in the car or? It was in the car. Oh, yeah. okay. So she goes to get out and she goes, my hair. I can't get out without my hair. I said, Cece, <laughs> get out of my car. <laughs> you know, and she goes, well, I can't. It's, you know, and I said, is it a throwaway? I'm learning about African-American hair. You know, I said, is it a throwaway? And she goes, yeah, but not today. I just bought. <laughs> so I have to dig of her all weave. all the things to worry about. Out of my, yeah. So we <laughs> delivered a baby and her weave and got them all out of my car. And so took her little boys home and walked in and. Told my husband, I was like, uh, you need to take the car to the car wash. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay here with the boys. And So now Cece has four boys. So Cece now has four boys. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so we had the boys for the weekend, got them home. And I will tell you now, Cece, um, that story was on TV because of a Facebook post. That, you know, I was asked to share that. Oak Grove Baptist Church took up a collection for her and bought her a vehicle. So now she has... A van. She still has her job that she had when she was pregnant. She gets the boys to daycare every day. She's like a little soccer mom. And she is a strong little Christian. I mean, she really is. You know, she has seen God provide everything that she needed. It might not have been the way we thought it was going to look. You know, God provided a way for her to get to the hospital and a healthy baby in spite of how he arrived. And uh, so Cece's one of those that, you know, there are lots of stories, not lots of babies in my car, but there are lots of (laughs) stories just like her that she has actually seen. I mean, she has seen the church, the faith community. She has seen, you know, her physicians, everybody rally around her. There's some good hearts in Waco. It's just, you know, knowing 
and to let people know what people need. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of what people need, I mean, obviously, how, how are you funded? You know, how, how is this paid for? We are. Everything that we receive is all individuals, churches, businesses. We have one funding source that comes from a nonprofit that gets its funds from the state. We are not state. We don't get state money, uh, but it, it gets its money. And so uh, some of our services, we can get reimbursement from it. It's about a fifth of our funding stream. But everything is, we don't take any government money. So everything is fundraisers. We have our Sanctity of Human Life barbecue, which is in January. We have a race in April. And then we have our big banquet in the fall, usually in September. And then we send out baby bottles through churches. Uh, some of some people, some of the listeners may have seen that, where people fill up baby bottles with change. And those get us through the summer. So they're absolutely mm. essential. You know, the biggest thing that allows us to plan ahead for all of our initiatives and the things that we, you know, are, are doing with the women is the monthly giving. So the monthly giving, whether it's $10 a month, anything that I can count on and know, I can make a decision today and pay for it tomorrow is essential. How many staff people do you have full-time? We, we have 13 full-time staff. Okay. And the rest, I mean, you can imagine with all this work done, we cannot do it without volunteers. Oh, absolutely. And um, and another thing that we have started this year, abortion started being offered again in Waco back the week after Easter. And so we have a medical mobile unit that we take out to across the street from the abortion facility on the days that they do abortions, uh, not to create drama, not to, but to be just a last chance for women to change their mind or to see what it is that we can do. As I said, just getting an hour is what we pray for. If we can't convince her in an hour that we can help her and that she can do this, uh, it's not so much about talking about abortion. Of course, you know, nobody, again, nobody thinks that's a great option, but if we can educate her on what all we can do, and so if there's anyone, because we know of the traffic that goes into the abortion clinic, that a lot of it comes from the central Texas area, the broader area that might not have ever known of CareNet. And so we have to be right there so that we can at least try to get that information to her so that when she makes her decision, she's made a fully educated decision and she doesn't ever learn of us later. That's the biggest, you know, for, for women to learn later. I don't, I, you know, everybody knows someone that says, if I had had something like that, it would have made all the difference in the world. What, I, and I don't know, what are the stats of terminated um, children every year? Are every year, um, well, in Waco, I mean, back during uh, during the time when abortions were offered here, which was three years ago until this past year, was about 1,200 uh, in, in Waco. Now, we know, again, that a lot of those are not necessarily Waco babies. They're babies that, you know, are women who have come from other places. Uh, there's kind of an abortion corridor down I-35. So it's Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Waco. Was when, when you say a corridor, because they don't want to do it at home, they go to different towns to have it done? Well, well, there's Planned Parenthood of Greater Texas. I don't know how much into this you want to get, but the abortion conglomerate, okay. And so they have strategically placed centers along I-35 so that they're easy to, for women to get to. But then also because they're... They have several offices. They can they bring abortion doctors in from the East Coast that come in that do abortions. They're like circuit doctors. And so they can go from one clinic to another to another. It costs them less money. And so women, you know, although they may be from Dallas, they may come to Waco because that's where 
the doctor is that day. Uh, so there's a lot of women that would not even know of us unless they see us because we can't advertise. I mean, we advertise a lot of places, but we just can't be everywhere. And, you know, we're not a household name like a lot of other, you know, the abortion clinics are. So how do you get your name out? I mean, how, how do you make sure that women know about you? We spend probably about $50,000 a year just on advertising, just on the buses. We're on all the city buses. We do mobile ad messaging. We do geofencing. We do, you know, internet. We do a little bit of television. We do some radio. And then at least half of the people that come to us mark that they, it's word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So, and word of mouth is great unless their people are coming from, you know, the surrounding counties and don't know. And so that's, that's the hardest part. And again, that's why we have to have the mobile clinic there because we don't want, ever want anybody to find out after, about us afterwards because oh, we can even house them. I mean, it's not even fine. You're from Dallas. You don't have any support there. We got it in Waco. Earlier, you mentioned about the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many of those machines do you have? Well, we have four right now. Okay. We have four 3D, 4D ultrasound machines. We have three uh, that are in our clinic and one that's on the mobile van, the mobile clinic. We have nurses that are trained in sonography that uh, do the ultrasounds. Uh, we get them trained either here or we send them off. Like we have a training coming up in Georgia that um, we'll have a team of them. And those are all volunteer nurses except for the few that are on staff. What's a what's a 4D versus 3D? So the 4D is the video. <clears throat> so you've seen pictures where babies look like babies and they don't look like ant races, you know? Yeah. Like they looked whenever yeah. I had ultrasounds. It was just that black and white. Yep. The 3D is the where you can see the face and the facial features. And, you know, a lot of the girls that come into us, you know, they may only be six weeks pregnant. And they're making a decision about what to do in a pregnancy. And so we have to have crystal clear images. We have the best machines in Waco. Nobody has better machines than us in Waco. Now, some because of the doc- that image is what sells. The they, image. They see that baby exactly. and they say, that's, that's mine. Yeah, yeah. So that it's, it's crucial that we get a crystal clear good image. And we offer ultrasounds really, really early because that is what makes the difference. I mean, that's when a woman, and, and especially... If someone is is maybe on the fence about support or, you know, they don't know if they want this, whether it's mom, you know, father of the baby or whatever, it just helps everybody to see it's a baby. Because, you know, what what's going to happen is let's just say this is not a good time for mom and she terminates a pregnancy. At some point, if she decides to have another baby... Then she's gonna that she's ready for. Then all of a sudden, the joy of that baby is gonna be stolen. She's gonna be robbed of that because all she can think about every time she sees fetal development, every time she sees an ultrasound, it just takes away from the joy of the current pregnancy because she is now realizing it's a baby. And so, whatever we can do to help her to see that it's a baby. Okay. And so, um, how much more? Does the 4D cost in the 3D? Well, the 3D, okay, I'm sorry. So the 3D is the still image. The 4D is the movie. Okay. So if you, you know, so when, when we can record that and we can play it back for her. And um, so the, the 3D, 4D is kind of together. The 3D is the still shot. The okay. 4D is the image. The 2D is what a lot of people are used to seeing, just the black and white, what I call the ant races, the fuzzy pictures. And so those machines are about 40000 each. Okay. Wow. So you, you, need, uh, you need the 3D and you need the 4D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
We do. I mean, you know, you can do an ultrasound without it. A lot of pregnancy centers do, but right. that's what we have. Do you have all that you need? We just, we do. We have focus on the family because uh, of our reputation in the nation and what they knew that we were doing here. They actually gave us a call right before Christmas and said, y'all have been doing a lot of work down there. How are your machines? I said, well, they're tired. Uh, and we're about to get a, a, a mobile unit and, you know, we're getting them worked on. And, and so they said, you know what? We'd like to bless you with two new machines. Oh, my goodness. That's wow. awesome. So, yes. So we now have we will retire one. Her name's Barbara. We love Barbara, but Barbara <laughs> needs to go. Um, so when you have someone call and then they come in for the visit, how soon do you get them there for the 4D? As soon as they can get there. We always see walk-ins. Mm-hmm. So we see we uh, people can make appointments. We always tell them if you come in as a walk-in, then you might have to wait a little bit. But if we have to close down an office and all of us go over like we did last week, we didn't have to close an office. But mm-hmm. that is the primary site. That's what we do. So women don't have to wait. Uh, they can email us online over the weekend. We get lots of emails. We always have appointments open. I mean, if there's 13 staff, you know, yeah, we all have other jobs, and but we will make adjustments. We will always be there. So they can come in right away, and someone will see them, or they can make an appointment, you know, if they want to, don't want to wait at all. Yeah. Have you ever had any come in that did not want to do the ultrasound? I know of two since I've been there in 11 years. And why would that be? Uh, because they had pretty much made up their mind, and they knew if they saw it that it would change their mind. Okay. But two in 11 years and about 2,500 a year, it's... It's yeah. just not much. And we gave them pictures. We give them pictures as well, uh, you know, of the ultrasound. So um, I'm assuming you've been present when some of those ultrasounds have happened. Yes. Do you have some stories about the response of a mom? Um, you know, I'm trying to think that the most recent uh, story that I can remember that I thought was really cute, uh, and I wasn't available, but the nurse told me about mm. it. Um, we had a mom that came in and she uh, did not know whether or not she wanted to continue the pregnancy. She was married, but it wasn't a good time for her and her husband. I think he had lost his job. And so she, they did an ultrasound. She was very early and they couldn't really see, you know, a lot. I mean, they saw the yolk sac and they could see that it was developing. Uh, but we said, why don't you bring him in? Why don't you, before you make this decision, why don't you bring him in and let him see as well? So they came in, and it was within a few days because I think she had an abortion uh, appointment mm-hmm. made. And so he came in, and, you know, we were just really hoping that, that uh, and, and I knew of this, that they were coming in, but we were really hoping that the baby would, I mean, they developed really fast, and so that there would have been a, something that they could see as early as she was. And so our nurse did the ultrasound, and she said the dad looked at the screen, got right up close to the screen, and said, it's so cute. Oh, my gosh, she's so cute. I mean, she's looking at it going, it looks like a piece of a grain of rice, you know. But what he saw was, even though it didn't look like a baby yet, because it was really, really early, Mm. it was was enough for him to, you know, he saw life. He saw cute. He saw that's my, you know, and so they're continuing that pregnancy. Wonderful. uh, Just that. So, um, you know, we have... uh, I, I remember probably the first time that we had a girl um, that our nurse diagnosed twins. We seem like there's a lot of twins, more twins than I ever knew. You know, it, it's amazing how a girl will come in and she may think, I just, you know, don't know if I don't want this pregnancy. It's a good time. 
And then they'll do an ultrasound and find out she's having twins. And she'll go, well, I sure can't abort now. I know. You're thinking, it's well, two versus it's one. two versus one. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, you know, I think that I think that women know. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with a, a news reporter not too long ago. And he said, you know, if you take off everything off the table, if you take off religion and you take off, you know, all these other reasons why and all these other arguments, you know, against um, abortion, you know, what are your, you know, it's a woman's right. And I said, you know, it is still a crime against humanity. It's not natural. I don't care if you believe that we were created or you believe we were wired. It's not normal for a woman to hurt her young, her offspring. It's not normal. You know, the way men are wired is to protect and provide. It's not normal. And the guy dropped the camera and he said, you know, I could have interviewed myself. He said, I was in that decision. I was in that. Uh, and this was just a couple months ago. He goes, I made that decision when I was in college. And he said, a little kid ran through the waiting room and I told my girlfriend, we don't need to be doing this. And she said, we already have the money. We're already here. We already, you know. And so he said, I didn't have a faith background and I didn't really have any reason not to. But he goes, you know, you, you hit it right. You it was just something in my human nature let me know that this is not going to go well. This is not right. And I just looked at him. I said, you could have interviewed yourself. You know, when, when, when just the humanity issue that we know, we yeah. know. Do you have any statistics on the, the percentage of women that choose life after they see the 4D image? Well, that's what I was saying. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good ratio. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, it's 80%. Yeah, yeah that's eight. That and up. I'm going to say 8 to 9 out of 10, but just to be conservative because I don't want to overestimate it, but yeah, 8 8 to 9 out of 10 will will choose life. And then I'm assuming after that is when you start dealing with objections that where they say, "Well, I would, but" Well, when they come in, we usually ask them, "If your test is positive, what are your intentions?" So while the pregnancy test is baking, you know, we, we go through that and we just say, what are your intentions? And she'll usually tell us if it's positive, then I'm going to, you know, I'm happy or, well, I'm not happy, but I can do it or, oh, no, I'm not having this. And so we just say, well, what are your, on a stress level, what's your stress? You know, is it between one and 10? Usually those girls are going to say, you know, a 10 or, well, what is stressing you out? And that's when they'll say, well, I don't have a job. My relationship's not good you know, whatever that is. And so when we come back in and, well, your test is positive, but would it be helpful to you if, you know, we helped you with this, we helped you with this. And I mean, there's nothing, there's a lot of things not more fun than the other, but this is my style to say to a woman, well, I don't know, I don't know what you've been praying for. I don't know what, what would bless you, but let me just tell you what God's prepared in advance for you. And here's this place and there's all these people and you can, you know, and so would that be helpful to you? Would that help you through this? I mean, usually they're blown away. Like, are you kidding me? But to say, you know, this was prepared in advance for you, mm-hmm. for you. I mean, this is what we don't deal with, you know, anything else. This is all we do. And you're going to be great at this if you just give us some time. What are the biggest needs that you have right now? If somebody's listening to this and they say, I want to get involved somehow, whether it's volunteer or money or resources, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. what, what would you say some of your biggest needs are? Our biggest needs are money and time. The biggest needs are money and time. Money, of course, so that we can provide all of this stuff that we do. Uh, as I said, the monthly donations are what I build strategy on. And so when I look to see when, you know, all the needs that we fill now, we are, you know, we're the highest impact center in the nation, I'm assuming. And, you know, from what I'm told from, you know, the other 1,100 affiliates when we go to conference 
is because we have such a, such a breadth of services. We have built this ministry around what are the needs. And so we can't do that without, like I said, I can't plan for tomorrow what I can't pay for. So although we are a faith ministry, and sometimes we make a stretch, you know, and I make an appeal, it's the monthly income. So monthly donations, people can give at pregnancycare.org. They can set up an online. They can do it weekly, monthly, whatever. Anything is is enough. Anything. I mean, some people may feel like. I mean, our we have people that have donated for years. You wouldn't um, you wouldn't believe when you stop and look at how that how much that adds up to. I mean, a pregnancy test. We can do a pregnancy test when you add staff time, volunteer time, everything is about twenty five dollars. An ultrasound is about three hundred dollars to house a family. I think a month is about $1,000. So there are things in between that I can tell you, this is what that will pay for. You know, we'll see 20 to 25 women a day that we give diapers, wipes, onesies, and all of this to just for a new pregnancy. That doesn't, that doesn't also, you know, count all of the girls that come in for classes and all of that. Uh, people can have a baby shower to fill up our mom and baby boutique with the diapers, wipes, clothing, that kind of thing. You say money and time. And then time. The time, the time is we can't see all these people without without people to come in. Now, generally, we have women that see women. Uh, we don't have very many men that can commit the time to come in and sit in case a dad comes in. And like I said, that's, you know, if, if it, sometimes we'll get men that have some time that they can just do other work or whatever on site and be available if a guy comes in with the girl, because sometimes they do. But we really need women who can give about a four-hour block once a week. We can train you to do anything. We can train you that's no, you know, but to do four hours once a week to sit across from a girl who is in a pregnancy that she may not be prepared for, and to just tell her of the resources that we have to take that hour and uh, save a life. I, I just had a uh, question about the number one affiliate status mm-hmm. nationwide. Mm-hmm. Is you for the last three years? Yeah, and so what factors go in that to decide? You know, uh, they look to see the number of lives saved. Mm-hmm. You know, according to how many you see. So they we turn in our statistics every year, and so they see how many people uh, we see. They see how many have conversions. I guess you would mm-hmm. to life decisions. So those that are on the fence, not knowing. So for that aspect. And then also the prayer aspect, you know, the number of women that we pray with. I mean, we offer prayer to everyone every time they come in the center. And when I say offer prayer, you know, our, even our prayer is strategic. So anytime we go in to pray with a woman, we will ask her in whatever our personal evangelism style is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Or if you died today or whatever your way of evangelism is, then we share the gospel. We ask them, you know, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have to measure that. I mean, everyone that goes in, mm-hmm. we measure that. And so uh, my board jokes with, you know, jokes with me all the time and says, well, God calls them and you count them. And I was like, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But, but we want to be strategic. We don't want to just say, oh, well, God bless you and it'll all be fine. Because you know what? We're not going home with them. So we need to make sure that we're building that relationship and if, especially if we have intervened in a pregnancy where a mom has decided not to terminate the pregnancy but to have her baby, there's no question that if that, 
if that pregnancy ended early, that ba- that baby would be in heaven. So if we're going to intervene and mm-hmm. get that baby here, we better do all we can to make sure it still ends up in heaven. And that is to have a faith foundation for that mom and that home for that baby to come into. Do you have uh, specific plans for volunteers to enter into a, a type of uh, mentoring relationship with, with these moms that, uh, that come in and they need help, but one of the things they need is someone who can kind of coach them through this season and perhaps even beyond? We always, we always have that. So we have had uh, a more formal mentorship program, and what I have found is people don't want more to do. They want things to kind of organically create, be created. And so, for example, if a, if a woman is in the center and she or, or if she says, hey, I want to mentor two or three girls and, I, you know, whatever that looks like. I mean, right. a mentorship can be just taking a girl to the grocery store. Right. You know, do, just going about life. Then absolutely. We have volunteers that just want to build, be in relationship with girls. They don't want necessarily structured time, but absolutely we can, we can facilitate that. And we, we have more girls than there are women ever have asked to do that. Uh, and the same thing with men, although, like I said, there's probably less, but, but sure. And we, we just, have them come in. We do a volunteer training just to kind of let them know more of what we do, some guidelines and how to stay safe and to not, you know, to keep some boundaries. And yeah. uh, and we have a lot of women, you know, who invite girls to church with them and kind of bring them in there. So absolutely, that's just a one-on-one easy. Yeah. Do, do you have a, a story that comes to mind about uh, an ideal mentoring relationship that you've seen? Yeah, I do. So some people may know Judy Bauer. I haven't asked her for permission, but <laughs> Judy is just like just a joy. She is just a joy. And so I think probably a couple of years ago, it's more than that, maybe four years ago, uh, Judy entered, you know, mentored a little girl. uh, And Judy used to go to her home and she would always go. Judy's just so happy. She's bubbly. And she would always go with a little something, you know, she would go over and she would sit down with the mom and she would do kind of talk about development, developmental milestones and that kind of thing. I think this mother had already had her baby or maybe she hadn't, but she was getting ready. And so just talking to her about that. But she would find herself, the whole family would sit around the table. So even though she would go there and talk about things baby, you know, and, and take a little trinket or something, the whole family would sit around. And so Judy has now been with that family through the birth of their second child and has gone to birthday parties and always knows. And so that's a, it's a relationship that it's not even, I mean, it kind of went off the grid, I guess, for mentorship because we didn't intend for it to go that long. But a lot of these relationships, like they become a mentor for her for the girl, but then they become a mentor for the whole family. Right. And then they're, you know, at weddings and, you know, births of their their future children. And it's, it's a friendship. Yeah. So it sounds like the volunteers would come in for a specific type of assignment that mm-hmm. you would give them. And if a mentoring relationships develop, it's uh, it's kind of an organic thing that you just we let cr- occur naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We, we, we give them the foundation. We give them the foundation of, like I said, how to stay safe how to keep boundaries, that kind of thing. Don't ever offer money, you know, just those those things. But then, yeah, then we just kind of let it go, and we're always there. I mean, we're always kind of monitoring it to make sure that if we need to in any way intervene. Uh, but, yeah, we, we want to keep it so that it develops into a friendship and that it's mutual. Sure. I mean, you know, this, this you know, in, in the with Judy's girl, the girl that she mentored, I mean, you know, this girl blesses her. It's right. not just one way. Right. 
So you have the, the person that's being blessed mm-hmm. uh, that is actually doing the giving. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, that's uh, this morning uh, stopped a little lady that's in her 80s. Uh, we have volunteers of all ages that come in. I mean, some of the most powerful women that, uh, you know, are volunteers are just the little grandmothers that come in and they sit around across from a girl and they already have just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Right. And we already assume that even if they don't. But they're just so blessed by them. And so one of our ladies came by. She had had some health problems this morning on my way over to the studio. And her name's Paula. And, you know, I just loved on her and said, I'm so glad to see you're back. And she said, oh, she said, I will come here till the day I die. This is a blessing I don't want to miss ever. And so they come in. I mean, they come in to, you know, clean our refrigerator or do whatever. You know, I mean, there's little jobs. She was making folders. But... We become, I think, part of their family, and, I mean, it's good. I wish my mom had an organization like CareNet for her to go hang out once or twice a week just to bless her and to just make a fuss over her and and for her to feel useful. Yeah. So how many volunteers could you use extra that you don't have? Double. (laughs) We have about probably 50 at any time. So you could use another 50. Well, yeah, because not all volunteers are in the center all the time. Right. And they, you know, I mean, you think about four hours a day and we have all the things going on that we have, whether it's childcare or classroom or uh, support staff or sitting with girls across from, you know, uh, in the crisis counseling or making folders or, I mean, we have a staff of 13. Mm-hmm. So everything can be done by an ultra, by a volunteer. And mm-hmm. we can even teach nurses to scan. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the A-plus volunteer might be grandmothers. They're, I'm telling you, uh, they, well, and I'm kind of partial. I mean, I, you know, I just love them. I just love them in the center. I just, I do. And well, it meant it just, it just blesses us. You know, as, as again, we coach people through seasons of life, it invariably seems to be that uh, we do that with people younger than ourselves because we have gone through mm-hmm. storms. Mm-hmm, exactly. Okay. And so they know this and they say, well, uh, maybe I should listen because this person's been where I have it. You automatically have credibility even before you open your mouth. It's right. just something that we assume, you know. And, I mean, you know how it is. You can't tell your own kids anything. But <laughs> other other kids, you know, I mean, and I say kids, you know, but, but you know, other families, it's just something about it's kind of like flowers getting developed getting delivered by a stranger. I don't know what it is, but something right. about strangers telling you stuff makes it real, you yeah. know. Yep. Well, uh, I'll be praying for 50 grandmothers and, uh, I've got, I've got, I've got a couple of charity champions that might be able to supply that into the pipeline. That's right. That would be, I mean, I'm, I'm big on mentoring relationships because I I think that is probably one of the uh, most significant ways to transform lives is when you build into another life Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you have a lot of people sitting at home that want to be useful. Yes. But they don't, for whatever reason, know about the opportunities. And this is a huge one. This is. I mean, we have uh, one couple that goes to Caritas for us once a week that, I mean, does our shopping for us. I mean, there's something for, and, and, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, when you have young families or you're working young professionals, they have the heart, but they don't have the time. Right. So, yeah, the people that are retired. I mean, everything from caring for our medical clinic bus. I mean, just someone to just love that bus. You mm-hmm. know, just things like that that you 
there's something for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, the time, like I said, the money and the time, if you've got that, we can make it happen. We can tell you're extremely passionate about what you do. That comes out uh, mm-hmm. obvious in, it sounds like you're doing incredible amounts of work for Waco and for the women of Waco and surrounding Thanks. areas. It's and so, work. you know, hopefully as, as many people that listen to this podcast can take, you know, what they've heard today and, and help in some way. Thank you. Thank you for for listening and just, yeah, we couldn't do it without the support of the people of this community. I mean, it is your ministry. It really is. It's a ministry of the church. It's a ministry of this community. It's a great testimony to the, you know, it gives people in Waco uh, a place to walk out their mission calling. You know, you don't have to go on a mission trip to do it. You can do it right here. Well, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me, um, you can call 254-772-8270, or you can email me. It's Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, at PregnancyCare.org, or you can go online and just do uh, an email to the uh, info. It's info at PregnancyCare.org. Wonderful. And I always answer emails. I, I am a workaholic, and I'm happy with it. <laughs> so you'll probably get me to answer you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment and rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org nominate. You can also find more information on this podcast and all Charity Champions at charitychampions.org. And of course, tell all your friends. We'll see you next time.